Welcome to the Hidden Orchard Podcast. On this podcast, we will explore the deeper concepts and the intersection of Jewish wisdom, the New Testament, and science. We will bring you fascinating insights from the ancient and modern sources, all with the goal of improving and getting the most out of life. Visit our website at thehiddenorchard.com to subscribe to our newsletter and get more information like this. Now, today's episode. Beneath the surface of the apostolic writings lies a matrix of intricate concepts and metaphors concealed from most readers. A simple rereading of the texts will not bring any more understanding, as the key to unlocking these secrets lies within the rabbinic tradition. The following concept will demonstrate this point. Let's begin by reading a popular passage from the book of 1 John in the New Testament. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we reside in God and he in us, in that he has given us of his spirit. And again, that's 1 John 4, 12-13. John begins with the principle that no one can see God, However, he shares that the Spirit of God now resides in his audience. These are not new ideas in the Jewish world. The Hebrew Bible has many accounts of the Spirit dwelling amidst the Jewish people. What is new is that the recipients of his letter are a majority, if not entirely Gentile, marking a significant shift into new territory. And I'm of the camp that most of the letters that have been captured in the New Testament are addressing Gentile integration into the synagogue. And if you have followed the site, uh, we have a lot of articles on this, again, at thehiddenorchard.com. Throughout the letter, John drives the point that his spiritual connection has been enabled through the agency of Jesus, somehow, who himself is in God. But what does all of this mean, and how does this work? Summarizing his key points, we learn this. God resides in Jesus, and God now resides in John's audience, and they all reside in God. Again, though, how does this work? How does this technically manifest? How can a spirit reside in another? And what are the implications? We see this hinted at in 2 Kings 2.9, when Elisha asks his uh, teacher, Elijah, for a double portion of his spirit. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Shortly after Elijah was taken up by the chariot, we read the following. The spirit of Elijah has settled upon Elisha. Through the following chapters, we can infer that this extra portion of ruach, or spirit, elevates Elisha spiritually, uh, enabling him to do more than he might have without it. And by my count, there are about twice as many recorded miracles of Elisha than Elijah. But this is not competition. It's not about who can do more. Instead, it suggests a kind of partnership that Elijah and Elisha, teacher and student, are somehow working together as a kind of team. Elisha works from below and Elijah from above, both in the service of God. In the rabbinic tradition, this transmigration of the soul is known as ibor. The word ibor, um, in English, you can look this up, it's I-B-U-R. Again, that's a transliteration of the Hebrew word, which is ayin, yod, bet, vav, resh. And it means impregnation. Ibor is a kind of soul entanglement that occurs, commonly between a teacher and their students. One of the primary reasons for this connection allows a teacher to aid in a student's spiritual development. This can happen while the teacher is alive, but also after they pass on. The Bible references Ibor, yet it remains silent on how it works, hence why we need to dig deeper. 
Like many other topics, this textual silence might otherwise leave us to our own speculations if we don't possess a unifying oral tradition. John's references in the gospel, and there are many, are also vague, indicating that his audience had some degree of knowledge on the matter. Now, the dynamics of the bore have been mostly concealed within the rabbinic tradition for the last few thousand years. That is until the late 1500s. Rabbi Isaac Loria, known as the Arizal, lived a short but powerful life, revealing and explaining many of these well-kept secrets. Though he did not record his own teachings, his most prominent student did, unlocking a wealth of knowledge available now to our generation. In a work known as Sha'ar Hagil Golim, the Arizal's teaching on Ibor are divulged. I've included more citations in a two-part article, and you can find the link at thehiddenorchard.com or follow the notes below. But the book itself is worth the money if someone is interested in further exploration. Nevertheless, the parallels to the gospel writings are striking because this concept is mentioned many times in the letters of Paul, in the gospels, and of course in letters like 1 John. It makes sense of many cryptic passages that have stumbled people for centuries, which have left a wake of division and heretical ideas. Also, it's advised that one take some time to understand the composition of the human soul according to Jewish tradition, and all of this will make a lot more sense. For many reasons, Elijah is somewhat of a unique case, though Ebor is enabled through his connection to God. Through this, tradition maintains Elijah will play a major role in the precursor to the Messianic redemption, an idea referenced many times throughout the Gospels. The question remains, though, how is it possible that someone who is no longer living in the physical world can transfer part of their soul to people on earth? And can this work for other righteous people? The answer is yes. As we read, it was the Ruach of Elijah that was imparted to Elisha, boosting Elisha to a higher state and closer proximity to God. On this, Rabbi Isaac Laureate writes, It is possible for an actual spirit, a Ruach, of a righteous person to be an Ibor in another person. It can even be from the spirits of earlier righteous people, including the forefathers. Their souls are in Ganadin, and that's the spiritual resting place, the, um, the paradise or the third heaven. And this comes from the book Sha'ar HaGilgalim, intro 2-3. The Arizal later describes the various ways a person can sever this connection through sin and impurity. As a result of errancy, a person is no longer in a suitable state to attain or maintain an Ibor, and the Ibor, the spirit, will depart. Again, we see that spiritual purity is a vital component here. Hasidic thought suggests various soul connections can be made through reading the works of an author, listening to their music, and other influences. This should cause us to be careful about what and who we listen to. This seems to be what John is referencing in 1 John 4, 1-6, when he talks about testing the spirits. Whether inadvertent or intentional, sin stands as an indication that one has indeed become disconnected. This makes sense of 1 John 3, where he explicitly uses the language of Vibor. Here is the passage. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. Everyone who does not practice righteousness, the one who does not love his fellow, is not of God. And that's 1 John 3, 9 and 10. So recapping this, the soul connection is dependent upon the purity of the soul, of the person, the host, and a genuine and active participation in spiritual development. The spiritual development necessarily involves the upholding of the Torah commandments and prohibitions. 
What is critical to grasp is that an ibor is not the end goal. It's for the purpose of better serving the creator. An ibor is a part of a righteous person's soul, which has attained a closer proximity to the creator. When a righteous person passes from the physical world, they reach an amplified level or state, you could say. And through this connection, they form a lifeline, elevating the recipient of the ibor to a higher level. For a visual analogy, I recall the field trip we took to the science center as kids, and we were made to stand in a large circle around the static electricity ball. When the person closest to the ball touched it, their hair would stand up. And of course, everyone would laugh. This indicated that a static charge had been transferred from the ball to that person. As each of us put our hand on the shoulder of the person next to us, we created a circuit and the charge transferred down the line. In a similar way, Ibor allows one to connect to the creator through a spiritual intermediary. The person closer in proximity to the creator has the ability to transfer that connection down the line. This is for the sake of helping someone serve the creator. This helps them better uphold the commandments, gain deeper insights into the Torah's wisdom, and also attain a higher level of consciousness. This also informs us of the functional aspects behind what many refer to as the Holy Spirit. Notably, personal responsibility and lifestyle are as important as ever. The concept of cheap grace is not a Jewish concept. If one continues to live upright, they retain the connectivity with the Ibor. And we read this in 1 John 3, 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now we understand the destructive potential of theologies that teach that Torah commandments have been abolished, and we've attacked that in a separate article, or that grace somehow replaces the need for effort and work. These theologies have done real damage, inadvertently cutting many off from higher levels of spiritual attainment. As we've covered in our Messiah series, the epistles sought to mitigate the unprecedented experience of Gentiles attaining spiritual elevation. A degree of Ibor was democratized to the Gentiles, something believed to have only been for Jews. This is what is meant by this often misunderstood passage. Here, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Messiah is all and in all, and that's Colossians 3.11. This did not make Gentiles Jews, nor did it tell Jews to become Gentiles. It didn't replace the need for Jewish distinction or covenantal responsibility. It simply reflected that spiritual access to God has been made available to all people if they put in the effort. And you can find Midrash throughout the Jewish uh, tradition that affirm this statement. With this, we can lay another proof text for replacement theology aside. Subscribe to the website for more. We have a lot more content coming. So in future articles, we'll explore the concept of Ibor further and how it's relevant to the understanding of the tradition behind the Messiah, the Holy Spirit, the redemption, and other critical concepts that have been misinterpreted through time. Leave a comment below if you have any questions or if you liked what you saw. Subscribe and consider subscribing to thehiddenorchard.com. There are free weekly emails. There's a lot of content. And if you want full access, um, you have that as well. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information like this, again, visit our website, thehiddenorchard.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter and look out for other articles posted there throughout the weeks. Reach out to us and let us know what you think of the show. 
Until next time, have a great week.